This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, August 28th. And now, please rise for the singing of our Welcome to episode 107 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. And this is a weekly baseball podcast from Champaign, Illinois. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, before we get into our baseball content, Paul, I need uh, your reaction to two big uh, world events. Okay. Uh, one, uh, did you enjoy the solar eclipse this past Monday? Uh, no. I was at work and um, didn't have the the necessary glasses or goggles or whatever, and so I I thought like maybe the rest of the sky would get dark or something and I wouldn't have to look directly at the sun, but um, that didn't happen in Bloomington. I'm surprised State Farm didn't supply uh, your eyewear. Yeah, yeah, you'd think an insurance company would want to do that, but they had no, they didn't have any sort of special viewing. They did not. No. Wow. Hard to do that for fifteen thousand employees. Very surprising. Uh, did you? Uh, yes, so uh, the area uh, that I work in, Research Park, uh, had a special event for it, but they ran out of glasses. So I glanced a couple times without the glasses. Hmm, you pulled the Trump. I did. Uh, my eyes hurt quite a bit the rest of the day. I was pretty worried when I went to bed that night uh, that it was a permanent thing, but then I woke up on Tuesday and I was good. Well, a glance like less than a second? or Yeah. Uh, I thought it was pretty lame, but apparently if you had glasses it was pretty cool. Well, and also if you were in the path of totality, it was amazing. I saw our, our uh, podcast friend, Alan Nathan, uh, drove down a couple hours to the uh, path of totality. Yeah, we'll have to get him on and get his instant reaction. Uh, second question, uh, did you watch the Floyd Mayweather-Conor McGregor fight nope. last night? Nope. Uh, nope, didn't watch any of it. Did you? Did you care who won or how it went? Yeah, I cared. Maybe like a four out of ten level of interest, but I yeah, didn't care enough to pay for it or go somewhere at ten o'clock at night. Well, actually, it didn't start until around like eleven. Yeah, central. You uh, you watched it, correct? I did watch it, uh, and I knew you didn't watch it. <laughs> Just a for the for the audience, uh, I was very intrigued. Uh, enjoyed myself quite a bit. That was the first boxing match I'd ever seen, and I've never seen a uh, MMA fight either. So I uh, kind of got. Uh, I guess kind of both. Although it, it, was, it was, I found myself w- really wanting to watch an MMA fight after this boxing match because boxing seems uh, uh, just kind of weak compared. Mm. Like you, you had the urge for them just to fight. Could you tell that McGregor was new to boxing? Yes, he got pretty pretty tired pretty quickly. Hmm. But uh, I'd be lying if I said he wasn't a uh, a captivating uh, personality. All right. Well, intro to this week's podcast. Uh, last week was a big one. We had uh, a, a big-time guest from uh, from Williamsport, um, did the 98 home run race, had a lot of info to share. Uh, so this week, I, I feel like we're kind of recovering from that. A little bit. Not not as action-packed. Uh, it'll hopefully be shorter. More focused. Yeah, and, and easier to bite off uh, for you, the listener. So uh, uh, thanks for listening. 
and um, hope you enjoy this week's podcast, even though it's not as full as last week's. We are going to discuss the Dodgers historic season, which um, we have failed to really dive into deeply. And so uh, one month ago in the season, they have a chance at the all-time record for wins, so we figured we might as well dive in now. Uh, they were on the cover of Sports Illustrated this past week, so we'll, we'll discuss their historic season, uh, possibly the, the best ever. Uh, and then we have a Field of Dreams uh, recap with our Summer Flex viewing partner, Scott from Iowa. He'll be on uh, in about 10 minutes. So looking forward to both of those things. Before we get into baseball, a Nelly update. Uh, he was watching the Mayweather-McGregor fight. He had a string of tweets during the fight, and I think you probably have to um, be watching it to understand his, his live reactions. So he tweeted, looks like, uh, six times during the fight. And I'll just uh, read each one back to you. Uh, first one, WTF, was that? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Was that the signal, LOL? Uh, next one, McGregor is exhausted. Next one, what? And eight question marks. <laughs> the next one, uh, looks like ha, 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 about 15 times. Hmm. Guessing that's when it ended. The next one, all the way to the bank, with about 12 exclamation points. And the last one, Definitely entertaining with about seven periods. Hmm. So he, in the six tweets, he did the six periods, about 12 exclamation points in one, did ha about 15 times in one, got his string of about eight question marks in there. So he's a big fan of Were any of those uh, tweets retweeted? By people? By other people, oh, yeah. of course. Yeah. What's I mean, the famous people can tweet anything and it gets retweeted. What was the most retweeted one? Uh, most retweeted one was definitely entertaining with, wait, sorry. McGregor is exhausted with 160 retweets and hmm. 470 favorites. All right. Uh, moving on to, uh, baseball banter. Let's talk about Giancarlo. Uh, I feel like outside of the Dodgers this season will probably, uh, be remembered for Giancarlo Stanton's, uh, epic home run race um, against himself. The race, like. And just his his historic he's gotta finish it out well, but um his historic pace of home runs. Yeah, I would maybe say like Aaron Judge too. He, I know he's, he's slowed he's down but so so far. You mean the home run derby? Well he's just had an amazing season. I think in ten years we'll remember the Dodgers of this regular season, the Dodgers and Giancarlo. Hmm. Yeah, he's up to fifty homers now. Yeah, homered about uh, ten minutes ago, uh on Sunday. So as of right now he's up to fifty that is tied for 44th on the all-time list. He jumped from 63rd to 44th, uh, going from 49 to 50. The first National League player to get to 50 in 10 years. Yep. Yeah, only two players in the last decade. So since uh, Bonds retired, he, he retired in 2007. So since then, or the last uh, decade, uh, only two players have hit 50, and they've both been in the American League. Jose Bautista in 2010 and Chris Davis in 2013. Hmm. Uh, if Stanton gets to 58, that would put him in the top 10. I feel like that's kind of uh, maybe the mark that we should be rooting for him to get to. He'd have to have like a homer in like one out of every four games the rest of the season for that. To get to that, yeah. yeah and I looked, uh, for his career, He's he in September, he's homer in about one out of every four games. Hmm. 
And so he's got 29 games in September. That means around seven home runs. And then he's still got four days left in August. Right. So say he hits one in August, seven in September. That puts him at eight more. So 58 um, uh, would uh, would be the number. So I think that's a, a number to shoot for. Homers by month this year. Uh, he went seven, 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 twelve in July, and then seventeen in August. Yeah. So he's got a amazing. chance to match Sammy's total of twenty that we talked about last week. Yeah. Uh, and the Marlins are playing much better. Yeah, they're uh, if they win today, they'll be sixty-six and sixty-three, and just a few games back of the wild card. I think if they somehow make the playoffs, um, you know, he finishes the year out strong, strong MVP candidate. I think he's definitely the MVP. Even if they don't make the playoffs? Mm-hmm. I mean, if he tanks in the September, then probably not. If he has a good September, I think he's definitely your MVP. Uh, the The Marlins uh, have 15 games left with the Braves and the Phillies, too. Something to note. Uh, both those teams are playing pretty bad down the stretch, even though the Phillies uh, are going to take two out of three from the Cubs this weekend. Doesn't make me very happy. But the, the Marlins have gone 17-8 and eight in August, and Stanton has 17 home runs in a uh, up until Sunday, 374 average, 462 on base, and a 956 slugging percentage in August. So he has really carried them. Uh, Paul, we had uh, Stanton 22nd on our Hall of Fame active player power rankings <laughs> about a month ago. Uh, He's shooting up. Yeah, would you top, say top 10 his now. 17 home runs uh, uh, in August have moved him up? Uh, yeah, but that was such an unscientific <laughs> list that... Um, he's, I don't know. He's probably top 15. I, believe now. I, I took him. We were alternating slots there because we disagreed. He so was much. on my list. He was on my list. So he's got 258 homers. He's just 27. I feel like he should be, uh, uh, top 10. Mm-hmm. And did, do I, I should know this because we do a baseball podcast, but do I remember seeing that he went through waivers? Was that a story? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, his contract's enormous. So he cleared waivers so any team could trade for him in August? Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen, though. But I, I recall reading some Cardinals bloggers speculating that they had some interest. Yeah, and the new ownership group might trade him in the offseason, but that would be a, a pretty low blow to Marlins fans. I feel like Stanton is is the most uh, entertaining player in baseball right now. Like his home runs, yeah. the way he looks, I feel like he's uh, he's the face of baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple uh, Little League World Series nuggets for me. Wow. Uh, Have you been watching? Not a lot. Some. Uh, Lufkin, Texas is facing Japan for the championship today as we speak. I think uh, Texas was up 2 nothing the last time I saw. It's pretty cool with uh, all this... Bad stuff going on. In yeah, the, I thought we'd mention, Texas. you know, I don't know if we have any podcast listeners in Texas, but uh, if you are listening and you're from there or have family there, we are thinking of you and um, praying that everyone would be safe and you'd be able to return home soon. Um, I've you know heard, heard a couple of reports of deaths, so let's pray that that um, wouldn't be a frequent thing. My, my second Little League World Series nugget, so um, each player that, that plays in Williamsport has to fill out one of these corny surveys that ESPN does so that they can put up, you know, favorite MLB player or favorite food, that sort of stuff. Uh, MLB.com took all of those responses and totaled up um, the favorite player calculations, with which I thought was kind of 
It serves as a focus group of sorts for who do Little League players love in Major League Baseball right now. So the top 10, you know, there are a couple gimmies that, of course, are going to be in there, but also a couple surprises. Uh, Judge was first. Harper, Trout, Altuve, Jeter, Ortiz, Molina, Baez, and Bryant. Hmm. Um, Jeter is funny. Yeah. Um, but then also, I thought Molina and Baez were telling. Um, obviously, those could be from, you know, Hispanic-speaking countries. But, um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Who are the top few again? Uh, Judge, Harper, Trout, Altuve, Jeter, Ortiz, Molina, Baez. Yeah, I think it goes to show you that, you know, uh, with Little Leaguers, if you have one good season, like Aaron Judge, or even half of a good season, you can get on their radar pretty quickly. Well, I mean, a lot of those kids that like Judge probably next summer will like someone else. It's yeah, that's what I mean. What's, like what's it, hot. it comes in and comes out. Um, but And then also Jeter was interesting there too. You know. Yeah, that's odd. Uh, Rich Hill's near-perfect game. Uh, this bummed me out quite a bit. On Wednesday of this past week, he threw nine innings of no-hit baseball. Only base runner he gave up in those nine innings was uh, uh, a hitter that reached an air by the Dodgers' uh, third baseman at the time, Logan Forsythe. The Dodgers couldn't score either, though, and Hill lost the no-hitter and the game in the bottom of the 10th. Uh, I love the decision by Dave Roberts to keep Hill in the game in the 10th inning. He was still under 100 pitches, and uh, this idea that a pitcher can only throw nine innings even if he's got a low pitch count is uh, is just silly. You, you don't see it face that decision face very often, but love that decision. Uh, it didn't work out this time, but uh, hope managers in the future uh, will do that. Yeah, and for uh, TWTW today, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Dodgers staff and okay. um, how successful they've been. Yeah, best uh, best pitching staff in baseball by, by quite a bit. Uh, it's been one uh, 1,838 days since the last perfect game, which was in August of 2012. Paul, do you know who threw that perfect game? Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, Chris, we, Chris Heston? Oh, my goodness. Perfect game. No, Chris Heston has not thrown a perfect game. I've asked you this specific question. This might be the fourth time I've asked you. Jose Fernandez. Jose Fernandez in yeah. 2012? 2012. Yeah. That, I think he might have been, been 15. Felix Fernandez. That's right. And the other two in 2012 are what? <laughs> One was a White Sox player. Uh, that would be Philip Umber. That's right. And Matt Cain. Matt Cain. All right. Lock this moment in. Felix Hernandez, last no. perfect game, 2012. Not going to happen. My memory's terrible. Lock it in. No, really focus on it right I want, now. I want you to have... I'm going to mark my calendar in one month. I'm going to ask you on the podcast, and I want you to answer it correctly and right off the bat. I think, uh, you know, down the road, five years from now, once you have a couple of young kids yourself... No, it has nothing to do with will kids. Understand. It has nothing to do with kids. You're just refusing to memorize that <laughs> fact. Uh, moving on. No, not moving on. Still on perfect games... I wanted to know if that span, so since 2012 till now, has been a long stretch. So it's it's been over five years. And the answer I found when looking at Perfect Games, which there's only been 23 of, uh, is that it's it's uh, a, a long stretch, but not near the longest. So 2004 to 2009, no Perfect Games, and that was a longer stretch as of right now. 1968 to 1981, 13 years, was way longer. Uh, uh, 56 to 64 was longer, and then uh, the longest stretch, 1922 to 1956. Oh, geez. That's, that stretch was uh, 
that drought was broken by Don Larson's perfect game in a World Series. You think it's possible that we, there was a perfect game in there and they just had such poor <laughs> data that no one tallied it? Uh, small chance. That's 30-some years. No one threw a perfect game? Yeah, apparently not. He had uh, two wor- uh, World Wars mm. between that. Uh, overall, 23 perfect games, 296 no-hitters. So when people talk about, like, oh, you know, is it even that big a deal? Uh, in reference to a perfect game versus a no-hitter. It is a big deal. Uh, you can cite that stat. 23 perfect games, 296 no-hitters. Uh, so uh, no-hitters are cool, and I love watching them, but I really want to see uh, another perfect game. I think they should create a separate stat uh, called like a, a pitcher perfect game, which means that if one of your fielders makes an error, that still counts kind of as a perfect game. I don't think that should happen. <laughs> Last thing I had before Harper uh, and Trout. One of the best baseball tweets I've seen in quite some time. Uh, it said, uh, for the people that think baseball is boring. And it was a this day in, in Indians history by the Indians TV broadcast. Uh, and this uh, event happened August 24th, 1919. Indians pitcher Ray Caldwell was struck by lightning with two outs in the ninth inning and the Tribe leading the Athletics 2-1. to one. Caldwell was knocked unconscious, then revived, and went on to retire Joe Dugan on wow. a ground ball to end the game. Wow. I think uh, if that happened today, it would, uh, it would break the internet. <laughs> pitcher knocked unconscious by lightning, then revived. What does it mean that he was revived? Just, you know, jumped back to life. <laughs> Right there on the mound. Uh, do you have anything else before we do a Harper Trout nope. update? All right. Uh, Harper, a couple of weeks ago, was injured, and uh, I looked this morning hoping for a positive update, but uh, not very positive, not very promising. This is from the Washington Post. Harper suffered the severe bone bruise to his knee two weeks ago Saturday, and neither he nor the team have established a timetable for his return. He so far shown no signs of moving toward running or agility work. He has more than five weeks before the first game of the NLDS, though of course the Nationals would like him to return before then. So that uh, that's not good. Hoping uh, next week we have some better news to share. Uh, for Trout, uh, he is healthy and, and playing great baseball. I wrote an article on Friday about Trout's MVP candidacy. And uh, really enjoyed looking into that. Uh, if he if Trout plays every game the rest of the year, he'll get to 100, uh, 114 games. Of course, he missed 40 games because of the thumb injury earlier this year. Uh, but 114 games would be the fewest for any MVP winner in the in the history of baseball uh, for non-strike years. Uh, so Trout right now uh, uh, is at 5.6 WAR. And Jose Altuve would would definitely be the leader in the race. He's at seven. He set out a couple games this past week with a neck injury, so that's kind of a nagging injury. Uh, That kind of gives Trout some hope in in maybe making up the ground there. Uh, Again, Altuve is definitely the favorite, but Trout could make it interesting, especially if the Angels make the playoffs, and they're just a couple games back right now. I think it's as simple as if the Angels make the playoffs, Trout wins. If not, Altuve wins. But it shouldn't be that simple. Uh, right, yeah, I'm not saying what I my vote would be. I'm saying like what I think. I still think you know if the Astros have the best record in the American League, even if the Angels make it, I think El Tuve will be your MVP because of the games issue. Yeah, yeah, I think all the writers, some all some writers need 
uh, is an excuse not to vote for Trout. Uh, I think it was kind of a miracle that he won last year. And so either him not making the playoffs or him sitting out games is a pretty convenient excuse. Yep, I'll make a prediction. Uh, end of the year war from baseball reference, I'll give Trout 7.2. And I'll say Altuve just beats him at 7.5. Uh, let's move on to baseball on TV, and we're going to talk Field of Dreams with our friend Scott from Iowa. Well, the music you hear is, of course, the Field of Dreams uh theme song from James Horner. Watching it this year, I, uh, I noticed how good the theme was. And here to discuss Field of Dreams with us are a Foot in the Box Summer Flicks viewing partner this past week, Scott from Iowa. Scott, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate you watching uh, Field of Dreams with us. I guess overall, Paul and Scott, uh, just uh, walk me through uh, your enjoyment of the film. Both of you probably have seen it Five times at least, right? Yeah, I can uh, jump in first. Probably more than that. I would say 10 plus. Uh, great movie. My favorite baseball movie. I agree with you. The more you watch it, you realize some of the subtleties, like the music, or even like the sound effects. Um, I tweeted that even like the sound of them walking on the, the dirt of the diamond is just great. So you re- you understand all those subtleties and how great they are, and I think it the movie is, is that much better the more you watch it? Um, that was probably the first time I've ever watched it without commercial interruptions. Okay. Um, definitely better. It's also the first time I've watched it in quite a while. Um, and I definitely think maybe the movie carried a little more weight just as like uh, like baseball nostalgia. Hmm. Being, I don't know, like probably eight or nine years removed from baseball, like playing it on a regular basis. Um, I think the movie does a really good job of capturing like, like uh, the majesty of how great the game is, so to speak. I mean, James Earl Jones' monologue at the end is just incredible um, and just really, I think, made me realize, I remember how great baseball is. Um, that. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I think uh, Field of Dreams is a very different viewing experience uh, on like uh, cable versus if you watch it the whole way through on like, uh, you know, a, a separate setting. Um, I think there's more like drama when you when you watch this like a full movie rather than like commercial breaks or whatever, because it could it could come off as like cheesy or corny. Uh, but I think if you if you really set aside time to watch it and um Appreciate it. I, I I think it's one of the best uh, movies of all time, whether it's sports or not sports. Yeah, Scott, I uh, I thought you had the most profound tweet of the night. There are a lot of tweets, but yours was the best. <laughs> uh, you said something along the lines of, um, you know, Sandlot sort of capturing what baseball is like as a kid, but then uh, Field of Dreams, you know, capturing what it's like to love baseball as an adult. Um, just wondering if you could uh, flesh that out a little bit more. Yeah, so last year I watched The Sandlot with you guys. And, you know, The Sandlot is just like the, like the kid baseball movie, right? Like, 
it's just a bunch of weeby kind of kids who are all very different, but bond together over baseball. You know, there's just a bunch of neighborhood kids that get themselves into trouble and can't find a baseball or whatever. You know, I threw up having two for the first time. And, you know, just a lighthearted movie. Um, so then you get, you get into Field of Dreams. Uh, like I said, this was probably my first time watching it. From the time I considered myself an adult. And um, I think the, the movie tries to, there's a really good job of getting at um, like grown men being removed from the joy of baseball um, or, you know, the ghost, so to speak, who like couldn't necessarily play the game any longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like really speaks to like, you know, like people who grew up loving the sport or playing the sport all the time, but can't get to it anymore. And so mm-hmm. it like brings you back to remember uh, how great it is to play. You know, like you saw the reaction of all the ghosts running on the field for the first time. Like, oh my gosh, like, you know, this is the first time I've played in 60 years. How amazing is that? Mm-hmm. Um, or even uh, Moonlight Graham's speech of, you know, what he'd do when he got back out of the diamonds. Um, it just really, like, lets you remember after so many years of not playing the sport, how, how great it is to have a chance to watch the game or yeah, it's a great point. Like uh, for adults uh, to not be able to play anymore, you can kind of really resonate with the uh, the ball players. But then there, you can also kind of resonate with uh, uh, Kevin Costner's character of watching the game and enjoying it still. That's a that's a really good point. Uh, each time I watch it, I'm kind of reminded about Shoeless Joe's career. And uh, if you go to his baseball reference page. Pretty interesting. So he, of course, was banned from baseball uh, for for the uh, World Series for betting on on baseball or throwing it to to get money. Uh, he only played eight full seasons because he was, uh, you know, forced to retire at the age of 32. And in those eight years, he put up over 60 WAR, had an on base percentage of over 420, uh, slugging over 500. So, I mean, not like the the home run total was 54, but no one hit home runs back then. I feel like his numbers always surprise me um, because, uh, you know, he's not talked about a ton today because he stopped playing 100 years ago. But um, he should probably be a Hall of Famer because of the, you know, without the banning from baseball, he would definitely have the numbers to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and based on uh, his character in the movie, he just seemed like a really great guy too, so... I find it hard to believe that he uh, he bet on baseball. Uh, I feel like as White Sox fans, you guys both should like embrace his cause, get him in the hall. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, the Hall of Fame sort of loses its luster when the person who's commemorated can't enjoy it, in my opinion. So, like, if Pete Rose is inducted fifty years from now, I don't know. It's not that big a deal because he wasn't alive to experience it. Still, though, the Hall of Fame is like for future generations. I guess I. I think Shoeless Show not being in the Hall of Fame doesn't take away at all from how we view him now. All right, well, uh, uh, maybe to close out here, uh, uh, like a favorite moment or a, a moment you, you noticed this time that you hadn't previously as like favorite moment in the movie? Okay, I talked about it earlier. I just think you got to go with uh, Terrence Mann's monologue at the end. Just, I think it just carries the most weight in the movie. Um, and 
that, that, I think that's the moment when you realize, like, the movie is trying to get at, like, how great of a sport baseball is. How, you know, it's, it sucks to get away from it, but, like, throughout your whole life, baseball could be one of the things that just warming your constant and steady. Uh, I actually, I didn't tear up, but I was close to tearing up when uh, Moonlight Graham switched back. He switched from Archie to Moonlight, you know, as the doctor. And as he was walking off the field and the all the other players were kind of saying goodbye to him, that was a pretty uh, touching moment. Yeah, for me, the, the scene that hit me the most uh, compared to previous viewings was the... Um, the scene where they're at in the hotel in Chisholm, Minnesota, looking for Moonlight, and um, just that like ten minutes in the movie where they they're looking for him, can't find him, and then you know Kevin Costner goes out at night and meets with Moonlight. Um, that whole scene, I I really enjoyed uh, this this viewing experience. Alicia and the purple hats. Yes, yeah. Even like the music of him, you know, walking down like the empty street with the. Um, uh, like old like newspapers and signs and stuff. Um, uh, it's just a really well done scene. Well, Scott, uh, appreciate you watching this with us. Our movie uh, this next week, chosen by David from Chicago, is about uh, 60 points less on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so thanks for starting us off on a good foot with Field of Dreams. Uh, a Talent for the Game, a lesser-known baseball film, will be the next uh summer flicks so uh thanks for watching with us and uh, enjoy the copy of uh feel the dreams i hope you pass it down to your son someday yes thank you for reading my movie collection is <laughs> is that movie collection like one right now i feel like no one gets dvds anymore uh yes it is probably one right now <laughs> great well uh enjoy iowa uh do you have any in uh aspirations to visit dyersfield you know what? Uh, it's actually on the trip between where my wife and I live and our, or my in-laws home. Okay. Uh, and so they're actually coming to visit next week and we're talking about stopping at it and the way here and the way back. And so I'm sure one of these days we'll make the drive out there and be able to stop on the way. Yeah, make sure to send us a picture. I will absolutely. Only if you retweet me. <laughs> That's a promise. We'll do it. Ray. People will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. Where there's money they have and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. It'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick that I have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, 
When the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. All right, for Out of the Box this week, I have a, uh, a Dodgers article. Uh, I was taking a look at the uh, Fangraphs leaderboard for war earlier this week. Um actually about three hours before the podcast. and uh, Why do you prefer a Fangraphs war over baseball reference? Uh, I enjoy the user experience of Fangraphs more than baseball reference. Really? My whole computer crashes anytime I try to go to Fangraphs. Hmm. And one name in particular in that war leaderboard uh, just jumped off the page to me, surprised me. You know, you have the usual suspects, Altuve, Stanton, Goldschmidt, uh, Chris Bryant, Seeger, but then at 13, you have Chris Taylor, a player that I had never heard of heading into this year. I've seen him a couple times on Sunday Night Baseball this year. I had no idea he was having this good of a season, though. Probably one of the more kind of out-of-nowhere surprising seasons in recent history. So the article I read this week was in Sporting News by Andrew Lawrence. The title was Chris Taylor is doing work at Dodgers out of, or Chris Taylor is doing work as Dodgers out of nowhere anonymous star. So, uh, you know, I think after seeing uh, how good of a season he was having, I was curious to just learn a little bit more about him. And uh, Lawrence's piece in Sporting News helped kind of catch me up to speed on one of the best outfielders in baseball this year. So a little bit of background on Chris Taylor. He's been in the big leagues since 2014 when he broke in with the Mariners. In his first three big league seasons, he was essentially a fourth outfielder. He never played in more than 47 games, so think yeah, fourth outfielder or kind of a, a triple-A player, honestly. Entering this year, he had hit a grand total of one home run in 383 big league at-bats. Uh, last June, the Dodgers traded for him. They gave up uh, right-handed starter Zach Lee, who was a, Zach Lee was a former first-round pick, but is not good. He now plays for the Padres, so essentially gave up nothing for him. And, you know, it wasn't um, a major trade or anything, obviously. Uh, But he's having just an incredible season. Uh, Like I mentioned, after hitting, you know, one homer and over 400 plate appearances heading into this year, Taylor has hit 17 this year. And he's uh, currently slashing 307, 379, and 534, which, as I mentioned, is good enough for 13th on the war leaderboard. Um, So, you know, how did it happen? It's a great question. Uh, according to, to Taylor, uh, most of his success this year can be attributed to some mechanical swing changes he made over the um, the offseason. He added uh, kind of a small leg kick and is loading his hands in a different way, um, enabling him uh, to increase his bat speed. And I think the interesting thing that Lawrence uh, points out in his article is that Taylor has so many similarities to his teammate uh, Justin Turner. 
Uh, Turner's one of the best third basemen in baseball, leads the National League in batting average, but four or five years ago, he was in a really similar spot to Taylor, came to the Dodgers from the Mets, and in, in his first 900 plate appearances, uh, Turner was essentially a, you know, a light-hitting uh, AAA third baseman. Turn, yeah, as, and as I mentioned, you know, Turner's now one of the best third basemen in all of baseball. He's had 70 homers in the last three seasons, and his uh, success can also be attributed to changing his swing, adding a leg kick, you know, changing his hand positioning. So cases like Taylor and Turner and even a guy like Jake Arrieta, I think, help showcase the value of um, on-the-field coaches, on-the-field instruction, you know, guys like Theo Epstein and Andrew Friedman get a ton of credit for putting together these amazing teams and rosters. But I also think, you know, hitting and pitching coaches and, um, you know, even minor league in, in instructors should get a lot of credit for cases like this. So um, Turner Ward is the name of the Dodgers hitting coach who made the uh, adjustments for, for Taylor. So uh, <laughs> Turner, we... We uh, value your work. You've done a great job. And, uh, yeah, just a really neat story, a uh, guy who's come completely out of nowhere. Yep. Uh, my article also talks about the Dodgers. It was the SI cover story this past week written by Stephanie Epstein. I have a re- uh, request out to Stephanie to be on our podcast. And she has yet to reply, uh, but she has yet to tweet anything else. So I have hope that this upcoming week she will reply apologize for the lateness of her reply and then we will have her on next week and hopefully she won't listen to the previous podcast when she does reply pretty unlikely that she does the article was entitled blue blazes led by justin turner the dodgers might be the greatest team of all time Uh, paul just touched on a lot of justin turner stuff so i will not go uh as deep into the turner stuff that was in the piece I more so wanted to discuss uh, just how good the Dodgers have been this year. So a few stats uh, that show their dominance. They have given up the fewest runs in baseball and scored the sixth most. But if you look at on-base percentage, I feel like that's really a good sign of a team's success. They have the second-best offensive OBP, and their uh, OBP against for their pitchers is first by 20 points. So they've been by far the best pitching staff, I think, in baseball and one of the top offenses as well. Uh, they just finished up a stretch where they went 51-9 and in 60 games. That was the best 60-game stretch in 105 years. They haven't lost a series in almost three months. Right now, the record going into Sunday was 91-37. and They are 17-6 and in August, 30-8 and in the second half. Uh, they started the year 15 and 14, so since May 3rd, they've gone 76 and 23, uh, which is just insane. Uh, and to get to 117, which would be the record, they have to go 26 and 8 the rest of the way. Uh, Paul, do you think they uh, end up doing it? Uh, no, mostly because I think they'll start resting, guys. The thing is, though, if they do rest, guys, they have incredible depth. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the recipe for success for the Dodgers. Similar to the Cubs last year on the offensive side, uh, they just have incredible depth. And they have great players like Seager and Bellinger and Turner, but uh, they have seven position players with a, a war over two and uh, two more but that have wars above one but lower than two. And then they just traded for Curtis Granderson, 
who is on his way to being the eighth player uh, with a above two war when you combine what he did with the Mets and the Dodgers. So uh, 10 position players that all have above one war, just incredible depth. And uh, on the pitching side, they have seven pitchers that have above a one war. Kershaw and Jansen and, and Alex Wood would be kind of the leaders of the pack. But um, below them, they just have incredible depth. So I would probably put money on them not getting to 117. But I think they'll definitely get to 110. And I'll be rooting for, for them to get to 117. That would be a fun Where did the Cubs story. finish last year? That's a good question. I believe they went... 104 wins, I think. Hmm. The last game of the year was uh, rained out. It was a tie. So I th- I'm going to guess like 104. 103 or 104. All right. Um, I guess just one other note from the article uh, in, in reference to Justin Turner. Uh, when A.J. Ellis was traded last year, that was big news. He was traded for uh, Carlos Ruiz. Didn't seem like much because he was a backup catcher, but he really was kind of the heart and soul of the team, one of Kershaw's best friends. He was traded. It was it was made into a big deal. Vince Scully loved him. Um, but when Ellis was traded, he said that it was Justin Turner's team now. Kind of passed the leadership baton off to Turner, and Turner really has embraced that role. And uh, I think the team uh, has really uh, kind of taken on his personality. I've watched quite a few Dodgers games late at night before I go to bed. And um, it really is kind of just like a fun-loving, good mm-hmm. team. And, of course, winning is going to help with that, but uh, it just seems like Turner has had a real impact, along with Dave Roberts, on creating a, a really good culture for guys like Puig and Bellinger to come up and, and do a good job. Yeah, they were a really, really fun team to watch. Uh, they have not won a World Series since 1988. Uh, haven't made a World Series since 1988 either. They've made the playoffs 10 times uh, in those um, – 19 years, this would be 11. Um, this would be their fifth straight NL West title, which is surprising to me. Um, a lot of pressure on them to uh, to definitely make the NLCS, but then also to, to make a World Series. I feel like mm-hmm. their fans are kind of hungry and, and won't see this year as a uh, success unless they make the World Series. Well, that is it for Out of the Box. Next up, TWTW. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs. When they put in TWTW and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW is. Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win. As I mentioned earlier, for TWTW this week, I wanted to talk about the Dodgers pitching specifically. And uh, it's kind of a hidden strength of theirs that I want to talk about today with the help of Fangraph's uh, Jeff Sullivan. This podcast is brought to you by Fangraph's, by the way. Um, So, you know, as Peter mentioned, the Dodgers have dominated um, in pretty much all aspects. I think their base running is a little below average, at least statistically. But, um, you know, their their offense, their pitching, uh, their defense is all amazing. but Sullivan, in a, a piece he wrote for Fangraphs, uncovers an element of their their uh, pitching staff that might be overlooked, and that's their ability to induce soft contact. You know, if you were to bucket pitching outcomes into kind of three general categories, they could be, or one plausible way would be strikeouts, walks, and contact. Those are kind of the three um, things that can happen when you uh, pitch a ball. And up until recently, the last few years, 
we've really only known about uh, strikeouts and walks from a t- statistical point of view. You know, you can make some guesses based on uh, batting average and balls in play, but you know that really depended on your defense and the park you were in, that sort of thing. And so that third category of contact was pretty subjective. You know, you could you could guess that the best pitcher in baseball, a guy like Clayton Kershaw, didn't give up a ton of hard contact, but you didn't really know that based on um, kind of a numerical value. But with StatCast data and uh, a relatively new metric called expected on-base average, we're able to get a sense for that, for how good pitchers are at limiting um, hard contact. Um, expected on-base average uh, takes into account you know, how hard a ball is hit off the bat and what angle it's coming off of and puts a number on um, how many times that ball is uh, a hit um, in a given play. And um, currently, the Dodgers come in first in all of baseball in that uh, metric for their pitchers. In fact, they're extraordinarily good. Even if you take out strikeouts and walks, which they're the best at in baseball, they'd still be first by a large margin. They're actually three standard deviations away from league average, which is um, insanely good. And they have, and I think this is most impressive, they have 12 pitchers um, on their on their staff that are better than league average with expected on-base average. So, you know, I think it's important to know that some of the, the worst offenses in baseball are in their division. The Giants and Padres are abysmal, so that definitely helps things. They also play at Coors and at Arizona, two, true. Of, two of the biggest offensive parks in baseball. The Rockies' offense is actually not that good, but, yeah, the park is. Yeah. Um, park is really uh, hmm. a hitter's haven. But, you know, I do think it seems like you know, having 12, uh, 12 pitchers above league average, it seems like the Dodgers and Friedman have really sought this out. Uh, this isn't an accident. Guys like Alex Wood and Rich Hill, even a guy like Brandon Morrow, you know, they're, you know, Hill was somewhat sought after, but the, the Dodgers made it a point of emphasis to go get him. And I think some of that can be attributed to their ability to limit hard contact. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that the Dodgers kind of know about expected on base average and, and sought these guys out because of that. So um, really interesting. Their, their staff is good at striking guys out, not walking people, and also um, making batters hit it ball softly. Yeah, what's interesting about the Dodger staff is uh, the depth allows them to acquire pitchers that maybe wouldn't fit in other uh, organizations. So like Rich Hill isn't a guy that you can slot in to be uh, a starter on a team uh, that, that that goes like 25, 30 games a year um, because of his injury concerns and just because of how weird his career is. Mm-hmm. But he's definitely a guy you can you can say, hey, I, you know, we hope he starts 15 times. If that doesn't work out, then we hope he can come out of the bullpen uh, 10 games. Maybe when we get to the playoffs, he'll be a, an asset for the middle innings. Um, and I think that's unique. Like the Cubs really haven't tweaked much in how they uh, use pitchers. Like they, they, they kind of stick to five starters and your normal relief roles. And so I think it's just interesting that the Dodgers are pretty unique in how they use the disabled list, which is uh, can be a frustrating thing, kind of running guys in and off of the, the disabled mm-hmm. list, but also just um, how they view pitching depth. Is we're just going to get good pitchers and we'll figure out 
you know, how many starts these guys get or, you know, hope that takes care of itself. Yeah, I think Robert showed last year in the playoffs that he's not afraid to do unconventional things. He had Jansen pitch uh, essentially three innings against the Nationals. Essentially, he pitched three innings. I think he had eight outs. I think he got nine. He got nine? Well, I thought so. Yeah, and then he did all sorts of uh, wacky things with the Cubs. Hmm. All right, well, that does it for TWTW. Next up, Sounds of the Game. And you know, Steve, you get the feeling that Billy Chappell isn't pitching against left-handers, isn't pitching against pinch hitters, he isn't pitching against the Yankees. He's pitching against time. He's pitching against the future, against age, and even when you think about his career, against endings. And tonight, I think he might be able to use that aching old arm one more time to push the sun back up in the sky and give us one more day of summer. That was Vince Scully from For Love of the Game, movie that came out in 1999. Thought it would be uh, relevant this week because uh, Kevin Costner is the main character in that movie, and he was, uh, of course, in Field of Dreams, which we just discussed with Scott. Uh, and For Love of the Game is not a movie, even though it's been nominated uh, for each summer flicks. It's not a movie that has been selected. So I want to give it to Vince Scully uh, is the radio announcer in that movie uh, not one of my favorite baseball movies it's definitely entertaining but um, that clip from Ben is uh, is great all right moving on to this week's sounds of the game uh, August has been a great month for center fielder uh, amazing catches so in my mind we've got five candidates for best uh, catch by a center fielder in August Adam Engel no Did he make a good one he robbed a homer. Well, at a sixth then. But uh, these five, I think, were, were great, and they kind of took over Twitter in the month of August. Uh, it started out with Austin Jackson at Fenway when he went over the wall. Uh, my number two is the Little Leaguer in Williamsport uh, that literally flew over the wall, didn't touch it. Uh, three on my list is Bradley Zimmer. Uh, just on Saturday night in Cleveland, made a great diving catch in left center. Uh, Kevin Pillar last weekend at Wrigley uh, went full speed into the vines, into the brick wall, made a great catch for the Blue Jays. And then lastly, a couple days ago, Byron Buxton made a great catch in right center against the Blue Jays in Toronto. So those are the five. And for this week's Sounds of the Game, we're just going to play those five in uh, consecutive order. Great hitter, too. Andre, switch hitter at that. There's a long fly ball. Deep center field. Jackson's back. He leaps. He made an unbelievable catch. He flipped into the bullpen. Did he hang on? That's the only question at this point. He sure did. What a play by Austin Jackson. (laughs) That just might be the play of the year. Hanley Ramirez is stunned. Did you see how high Lindor jumped after he saw him jump over the fence with the ball? Austin Jackson can still go get him with the best. This might be the best time play you'll ever see. On a wild pitch, it's just a really tough way to go home. Regany driven back. He's at the warning track. He goes over the fence. And folks, this is as good as you will see at any level of baseball. 
Payne out into center field, and again, Zimmer racing toward the track oh. and makes an unbelievable catch. The Indian center fielder rips off the Royals center fielder with one of the best catches of 2017. smile on his face like yeah unbelievable catch by Buxton to end the threat wow well that does it for this week's podcast like we said at the beginning uh, it's more of a bite-sized pod this week next week we hope to uh, have a, a bigger show hope to interview the uh, Sports Illustrated author no pressure yeah, and I think, you know, we definitely have the Summer Flicks uh, movie with David to recap for Love of the or um, uh, a talent for the game. Mm-hmm. So we'll watch that Monday night. Check in on our Twitter. Search the hashtag AFITB Summer Flicks. <laughs> Rolls off the tongue. Uh, we didn't get it trending last week. Maybe maybe Monday. Yeah, but if you if you search, you know, click that hashtag. It's a, a treasure chest full of delightful commentary on baseball movies. It is. Uh, so we're going to watch that Monday and then discuss it with David next week on the podcast. And then I hope to do kind of a uh, playoff picture, you know, looking at the whole month of September. What do you need to know about these uh, the playoff races? So looking at team schedules, injuries for each of the team, kind of each, each team involved in the playoff race, um, what's kind of uh, some things they're looking at heading into September. Uh, we just have a few more weeks of the regular season before we get to the playoffs. So uh, excited to uh, podcast uh, the rest of the regular season. We'll be chasing Giancarlo and the Dodgers as well as they go for record-breaking years. Uh, Paul, you have anything else? I don't. Fun time of year. Absolutely. Uh, well, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Make sure to leave us a review there if you haven't already. Find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Send us emails at afootinthebox at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter at afootinthebox. And check us out online at footinthebox.com. Uh, I am uh, just five weeks away from perfection. It'd be yeah, a baseball blog post I every day. You, I need to get you like a trophy or something. I would appreciate that. So find all my uh, articles at footinthebox.com. Click on the Peter tab. And that's where you will find that. Uh, I think that does it. Thanks for listening. And remember to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>